0: We're doing a series on Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth, chapter 1. Good. In those days when the judges ruled, we get that, eh? So in those days when the judges ruled, remember in the verse before that, the last verse in Joshua... I lost verse in Judges, sorry. We see there was no king in the land. Everybody did whatever they liked. No one submitted to authority. And so this is the, the book of Ruth that's been written at this time. There's no king. Everyone's doing whatever they like. And there's an economic crisis. There's a famine in the land. The title of today's message for us is Rearranging Our Lives Around God. Rearranging your life In that Liverpool shirt around God. Rearranging your life, my life, her life around God. There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Say Moab. Moab. Remember where Moab comes from, friends, where Lot's two daughters slept with their father, and they both have kids. One of them is Moab. He gets the name Moab. But this is this dark, incestuous, evil, wicked place where they are living. And so Elich, this guy, this father, this husband, he wants to go and live in that place instead of trusting God while he was living in famine. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and they lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married a Moabite woman, one named Oprah Orpah, and the other named Ruth. And after that, Oprah's a joke, by the way, after they'd lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilon also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's just pray together. God, again, we pray that your word will cut through and and break through into people's hearts today. God, your word is written. Every single part of the Bible is written to us to train us, to help us, to strengthen us, to, to rebuke us, to correct us, God. And I pray today that your word would train us and how to live a righteous life. I pray today all of us would be trained. Every one of us would be trained by your word and that we would learn your word and we would pl- apply your word tomorrow, whether we're in court. Defending someone, whether we're on the road, whether we on in a classroom teaching, that we would apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. P.J. Smith, he's this uh, great, well-known preacher. He, he says this. He says that in every church, in every group of people, there, there's a disease called Elimelech Something like lice. It's a joke, Elimelech litus. Okay, so a friend of mine, his daughter has last, he decides he's fearful of his hair, he shaves it off. So Elimelech is, is a disease that, that takes place in, in our hearts, in my heart, in your heart, in God's people. And, and and it's when you live a life saying, you know, God is my king, but when the crunch comes, God's not my king. And for Elimelech, when the crunch came, he left the very center of God's will. He left where he was living, and he went to the outside. Friends, we're not trying to build a church in this hall, creating and trying to bring in different people from the East end. We're trying to build a throne room of Jesus Christ here where he gets the glory, where he gets worshipped, where we adjust our lives according to Jesus and not the other way around. In the book of Revelation, it says that you and I are on the outside, and Jesus is on the inside, and we are worshiping Jesus from the outside. That's how the Bible works. But you know what happens in a consumeristic society? We switch that around. We are on the inside, and Jesus is on the outside. That's what happens. Jesus is meant to be at the very center of my life and your life, and at the very center of his church. Jesus is the center, and we minister to him. And from his throne, people come and experience healing and wholeness as they move forward in life. And I'm not trying to be harsh here, friends, but I want to say this. You are not the center of your own world. You are not the center of your own world. I'm just trying to put Jesus in his rightful place. You know what it says in Acts 17? It says this. Paul preached, and it says, these men are turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down because they preach that there's another king. They're turning the city, the world upside down. When Jesus taught us to pray, you know how he taught us to pray? Our Father, you're in heaven. I'm just here on earth. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then he prays this and he says, give us bread just enough for today. Give us our daily bread for today. You know what we do? We switch that around, friends. We put our bread right at the top. I need What I need for this week, for next year. And if I've got time, I'll make time for Jesus the King. Somewhere I'll try and fit Jesus into my day. No, friends, we turn the world upside down. That means we make our daily bread subservient to Jesus Christ, our King. We want to worship Jesus Christ, the King. We want to build a church here, friends, where Jesus is the King. And it's not about us. Where people can come and experience life and hope. In Jesus' name. I want to chat this morning, friends, about four Elimelech-Litus conditions. You get me? Four Elimelech-Litus conditions that have gripped the church and sometimes gripped my heart and your heart as well. And then we're going to close off and look and see how we can rearrange our lives around Jesus Christ. The first Elimelech-Litus is this, friends. He made a major decision. Elimelech made a major decision based on economic conditions. He made a major decision based on economic conditions. And we don't have time to look at it this morning, but in James 4, it says this. Do not, businessman, do not, hot executive, think that you can go to this town and you can go to that town and you can move there and you can conduct your business there and make money there. It says, rather, rather look at your life and ask, what is the Lord's will? What is the Lord's will for me? If it's the Lord's will, it says, do this and do that. Say this and that. This and that. You see, friends, we're living in an economic crisis here in South Africa. Everybody does their own thing. We make decisions based on the economy. We do, the, we do this, we do that, instead of making decisions on the will of God. I'm going to move to Cape Town. Or I'm going to emigrate to Perth. And I'm going to go to New Zealand. Instead of saying, what is God's will? How much are we trusting God's will for our lives, friends? And you're saying, okay, Daryl, I get it, but help me now. How how do I understand what is the will of God for me? Because I need a job, and and I've got to make money, but I can't just live like this in this economy that I'm facing. How, how, How do you think we work out what the Lord's will is for our lives? We go to the Word, friends. You know what it says in Romans 12? It's on the board. It says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Say that, in view of God's mercy. God's mercy for you and I. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. And in view of that, it carries on. It says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not be conformed by the way of the world, but rather... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you are able to test and approve. Here we go. What God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. And if you can't live in your current situation, how do you move so that that God's will takes place in that situation? And that you don't move in the wrong way like Elimelech moved. He moved in the wrong way, friends. How do you know that God's will is in it? That it's His good, pleasing, perfect will. For you to move, number one, you have to have got to that place in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your savior, where you've made Him number one, where you've prayed that prayer and said, "Lord, I give you my life." Holy Spirit, come and live inside of me and take control of my life. And number two, you've got to transform your mind from the conformity of this world, because our minds get so easily conformed to the ways of this world. If you read the book of Ruth, you, the last chapter. In the book of Ruth, it says, Ruth is better than seven sons. Have you read that? It's only four chapters. Read it with me this week, friends. I challenge you. Let's read Ruth, just four chapters this week. It says there, she's better than the perfect number, seven. She's better than seven sons. Why does it say that, friends? Because in that day that Ruth lived in, family and and relationships were, were, were So important in those times, she doesn't have that. She's not married, she's got no kids, she's a Moabites. But the book of Ruth says that she's better than seven sons. You see, the problem is that we live in a society where we have a picture of what perfect is perfect family, keep searching for the perfect job. Keep searching for that perfect man because he's going to be perfect for your life. Keep searching and trying to be having that perfect body, the perfect home, the perfect car. And and people move so that they can get the perfect picture and that they can live the perfect life and that they can show everyone on on Facebook and Instagram. And God is saying, rather be like Ruth, friends, than live with the perfection of what society places on us. Rather be like Ruth. Otherwise, no one's going to be able to walk into this hall Because none of us are perfect. But in the eyes of the the God, the living God that we preach, Jesus Christ, everyone can come in here. Because he makes us perfect. I want to challenge us men and women and young persons sitting here today. Before you make a decision to move and change jobs, sir. Ask this simple question. What is the will of God? Is it good? Is it pleasing? And is it perfect? That's number one. Amen? Number two. If you have Elimelech Lytus, you will never count the spiritual costs when you move. Because there's costs to moving. We get it. There's a family in freedom. They've just moved three or four kilometers from one home to another. There are costs to moving. They paid a a company to come and take boxes, put them in a truck, Deliver them, put them in the lounge. Their costs to moving. Their, their transfer costs is an estate agent here sitting here. Natalie, I understand. I get it. We pay you commission fees when you sell a house. You deserve it. But the costs that my mate didn't take into account, the garage for his cars had to be straightened and smoothed, and he had to put up something nice for his bicycle to hang in the, in the lounge. I get it. There are costs to that, friends. <laughs> there's, costs, there's financial costs to moving. And we take that into account, and then the rates and taxes caught him off guard. There's financial costs to moving, and there are relational costs to moving. Let me tell you about my neighbors. They moved. There was relational costs that happened there because they had these two gorgeous, cute, cocker spaniels, and my neighbors used to go out jawling on a Friday night, and for me to sleep at 8 o'clock on a Friday was like heaven. And so at two in the morning, on a Saturday morning, I used to take two big buckets of water, one for each of the Cocker Spaniels, because in the courtyard, I used to have to throw them with big buckets of water, because I couldn't sleep. And when they moved, thank you, Lord, (laughs) things changed, and I could sleep on a Friday night at eight. But but, but on a serious note, friends, there's relational costs. If you're going to move to another city, to another country. You're going to lose deep connections with with relationships with people that are close to you. But at the end of of the day, when we move, we need to ask this question. How's it going to affect us spiritually? And I've seen many people relocate to another city, another country, and they don't serve God anymore. I've seen many families move, and their families don't serve God anymore. I've seen families move, and their kids don't serve God anymore. And and I've seen them relocate to different places, and and they go to bed at night with happy hearts because it's much safer. But the society that they live in is anti-God. It's anti-God. And they're bringing up their children in an anti-God society, and, and they feel safer. But what about the spiritual aspect, friends? And I'm not trying to put a heavy on you this morning. I'm just telling you what Elimelech Litus means. I think Elimelech, he moved his family, four of them, three of them died. 75% of that move resulted in death. In April 2017, it was my anniversary. And I remember saying, you know, I I would love to spoil my wife and... uh, sacrifice my anniversary, and and let's go and spend time with her sister in Mossel Bay. I'm good, okay. Let's go and spend time with her family on our anniversary, and it just so happened that there was this massive mountain bike race at the same time, (laughs) (laughs) And, and we went, and we spent time on our anniversary in April 2017, and I remember sitting on their patio outside. They stay on a farm just outside Mossel Bay, it's beautiful. The mountains, the sunset was incredible, and and I remember praying in my heart saying, "God, do you want us to relocate you?" Because we were pretty sure that, that God was moving us into a direction of planting a church. We were pretty sure about that, but we just didn't know where. And we just didn't know when. And I remember sitting there saying, God, you want us to to plant a church here in Muscle Bay? Do do you want us to come and relocate here? Do you want want me to move my family? Because it's much safer here. The the schools in Muscle Bay, they don't have robbers coming in because that only happens in the Vale. Should should we move here, God? And we had family there, and I thought about it, and I said, God, open a door. If you open a door, then we'll go. But if we had moved, what would the costs have been? Sure, it would have been much safer. But what other costs would have been involved in that move? You see, friends, in the Old Testament, God wanted His people to stay together. That's what He wanted. But it's different in the New Testament because in John 17, Jesus prays to His Father. And He says, Father, I do not pray that You would take them out of the world. I pray that You would take... our our people, your people, my people, that you would not take them out of the world, that you would protect them, not project, protect them from the evil one. Freedom Church, I want to say, you are meant to be at the workplace where you are working. I want to say to Cassidy, there's another Cassidy here, not my daughter, she goes to university. You are meant to be at that university fighting the rubber bullets. We are meant to be in this world, but we have to have a link to a Bethlehem community. We have to have a link to the church, friends. We have to have a link to His people. And if it's not this church, that's okay, but go and find a church where you can be linked to that community. I want to say it's not good for us as Christians to be isolated. God doesn't want us to be isolated. That is a where you are isolated from your community. I met a man this week. We had a Coke Zero at the Mimos, and he said to me, you know, Daryl, I'm close to God. I am close to God, but he says I've lost this connection. My family and I have lost this connection with a Christian community. He says we've lost that. And we are in a community with fellow believers. When we are together, what does it teach us? It teaches us humility. Jesus teaches us how to stay humble, friends. When we together it teaches us about God, and it helps us to keep putting Jesus as King at the center. Of our lives. That's what a community does. Amen? And it's really nice to see you in this community, in this hall, on Sunday Funday. That's number two. Number three, Elimelech defaulted too quickly. Have you defaulted too quickly? Because I have many times. He defaulted too quickly. He defaulted to let's just fix this. Let's just get out of here. Let's just take matters into our own hands. If you suffer from Elimelech Lytus, you will default too quickly. And you'll say, I'm just going to fix this. I'm just going to sort out this problem. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Let me say especially to the young people, God whispers to us in our pleasure. But when you're going through a tough time, sir, he, sh- he, he shouts to you in pain. When you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering in a difficult time, Whatever that might be, work, marriage, home, finance, he shouts to us in pain. I spoke to a man recently, and he said, I'm going through a really, really rough time in my marriage. He says, it's tough, but he says, through the season that I'm going through, it's keeping me close to God. And I thought, wow, not if, but when I go through a tough time in my marriage, is it going to keep me close to God? How am I going to react? How am I going to allow God to shout to me in my pain? When things don't go well, instead of just trying to fix it, friends, just get on your knees and say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. What, what, what are you trying to teach me, oh God? Get people around you. Get some counselors around you and ask this question. God, you've got my attention. What do you want to do with me? What do you, what do you want to teach me, oh God? And the greatest example of this is Jesus. He's in the desert. Say desert. Just like Elimelech was, it's famine, there's no food, Jesus is in the desert, he hasn't eaten, he's extremely remarkably vulnerable. I want to say to us this morning, church, you are most likely to sin the most when you are stressed, when you are hungry, and when you are tired. And Jesus is in the desert, and he hasn't eaten, he's remarkably vulnerable, and the devil comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. When I'm under pressure, I try and turn stones into bread. I I try and make a plan. That's not what God is trying to teach us here, friends. He's trying to say, Elimelech, there's a famine in the land. There's a reason why there's a famine in the land. Stand still. Trust me. Stand still. Trust me. We cannot fix every problem with human solutions, friends. Your marriage hits the wall. Boom, 100 miles an hour. You're feeling unappreciated. You feel like you're living past your wife and you're just living like ships in the night. Don't run. Chances to a man, He's he's run. Don't run away. Don't walk out. Get on your knees. And if you can't resolve it, go and see somebody and ask them to walk a road with you and say, God, what are you saying to us at this time? And the devil says to Jesus when he's in the desert, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, it is written. Number four, was God just part of Elimelech's life? What do you think, Kathy? Was He just part of Elimelech's life, or was God the center of Elimelech's life? I don't think God was at the center of Elimelech's life. I think God was just part of Elimelech's life. And I think some people say, I'm an engineer. I can go and be an engineer in Cape Town, or I can go and be an engineer in Perth, or in London, or anywhere in the world. And that's true. You can, but where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? When you make that decision to go and be an engineer in Cape Town or in Perth, are you, are you, are you saying, I, I, I want to make Jesus the center of this decision? Or am I making this decision? And then Jesus, please just follow. Amen? Is he at the center. God works with family friends. He commissions people. And I'm not saying you mustn't move. Don't get me wrong. I don't see my friends here, but I've got a tennis friend from high school and his wife who drives a GTR. They move him. And I get it. They've been trusting God for years. I'm not saying you mustn't move. But where's Jesus in this decision? Is he at the center of this decision that you're busy making, friends? Only move because of Jesus. Only move because of Jesus. And whatever you do, don't move because you get offended. (laughs) Because I'm going to offend you. (laughs) And I'm going to say something. I'm not perfect. And you're not perfect. It was a man who was very influential in my spiritual life. And he said to me, church would be the perfect place if it wasn't for people. <laughs> it's too, eh? Don't move because you get offended. Church is hard, friends. This week, I felt like running away. Because last week, Friday, I spoke to my mentor, Rory, from 3CR. And he looks at me and he says, you know, Foxy, we cannot run church like a business. And he does have a business. And he runs that like a business. But he says, I've been so challenged not to run church like a business. And this week, I've been, I've been looking at it. What does it mean? Because in business, you can hire, and you can fire, and you can employ. We cannot run church like a business. And I'm trying to find the, the balance. I'm trying to, and I want to run away. Church is hard, friends. And there are many reasons that you will get offended. But you can't just get up and leave and say, well, I'll go and serve God down the road. Down the road. And down the road, you can't do that, friends. We need to allow God to rearrange our lives. That He's not just part of my life, but that He's the very center of my life. I want to speak to you about three men today, and then we're done. The first man is a man called Isaiah. You can read about his story in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision. He sees God in the center of of the temple at the very center of the throne and his whole robe fills the temple and there's angels flying around he sees this happening and the first thing that he says is my lips are dirty how do your lips and my lips become dirty when i gossip about that colleague of mine that's not performing at the office when I gossip about that family member, and I slander, and I kill people with my lips and my words. That's how our, our lips become dirty, friends. And the Bible says he, he sees this angel that goes to the center of the throne, takes his hot coal, and he brings it, and he puts it on Isaiah's lips, and he burns Isaiah's lips with his hot coal. And, and then he, he, says, he says, God, he, the angel says, who will who will go? And Isaiah says, I will go. My lips were dirty, but God, you have healed my lips. My lips are no longer dirty. I will go and send out the word. He says, send me. I'm available. When trouble hit Emilelech, what did he do? He ran away. He walked away from the center of God's will. When when Isaiah saw this, he walked towards the center of the throne. Which way are you walking, ma'am? Which way are you walking, sir? Are you walking away from God's will? Or are you walking like Isaiah to the center, to Jesus, to your heavenly Father? You know what our culture says? Find perfection in another job. Find perfection, a great life in another country. Are you walking away to another city? Are you trying to make a plan in your own way, friends? Perfection in a car, in a house, in a home, in a relationship. In this story about Ruth, it tells us that Ruth is better than perfection. Ruth says, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if it results in death. Nothing, even death, needs to separate myself from you, Naomi. She leaves her father's house, and she goes on a journey with Naomi, her mother-in-law. What was in it for Ruth going on this journey? Because most people leave their country for a better life. Ruth leaves her father's house, and she goes on this journey. Even if it results in death, I will go. Ruth left not looking for a better life. And you know who else left not looking for a better life? He has an amazing comparison. Jesus left his father's home in heaven and he said, Father, I will go. I will leave my home and I will go to their home and I'm prepared to even die for them. That's a beautiful analogy. Jesus and Ruth walked towards the center of God's will. Which way are you walking? Which way are you walking? Are you walking towards the center or are you walking away from God's throne? That's Isaiah, the second guy, Paul. Paul's on a mission. He's down the road on his horse. He's going down the road, and he has this amazing encounter with God. God takes him off of that horse. You can go and read about it in Acts 22. It's a beautiful story. And then he asks God these two questions. He looks up from the ground. He's fallen off his horse. Who are you, Lord? And what shall I do? Who are you, Lord? What shall I do? I believe that those two questions should define my life and your life. Who are you, God? Who are you, God? What shall I do? And after God revealed himself to Paul, just like Ben today, he surrendered his life, and he got baptized. And he went to this town called Antioch, and he built Antioch around the center of God. He put God at the center of that town where he preached, and others moved out and spread the word from that place. He put Jesus at the center. Who are you, Lord? I'm your father, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate, I'm slow to anger, I'm forgiving, I'm faithful, I'm extravagant, I'm strong. He is our teacher. What shall I do, Lord? Build your life around that. Build your life around who I am. I believe that that is what God is saying to us today. Walk to the center, Freedom Church. Not away. Not away. In your your grief and your suffering, I want to say, ma'am, don't walk away. You're starting to walk. Keep walking. Keep walking to the center. And the last man today, you can read about him in Luke chapter 15. This is a guy who takes from his father. He takes his inheritance. He walks away. He walks away. He goes and he squanders that inheritance on prostitutes. He's got gifts. Each one of us have got gifts and talents that God has put in our lives. And maybe you've taken them and you've squandered them. And eventually, this guy sits down in a pig star, and he starts remembering, "What was my dad like? Remember how my dad was? What was my dad like?" I walked away from my dad, and instead of running even further away, he turns and he thinks, "I've got to go back. I've got to go back to the center where I was, because my dad is better than living on the outside. And he goes back, he turns, and he comes home. And as he comes home, his father, who represents my father and your father in heaven, his dad runs to him, and he puts his arms around him, and he welcomes home a sinner. Friends, let's build a church together, that when somebody walks in through these doors, we run to them, and we welcome them home, and we show them the heart of our heavenly father. Put them back Allow God to put them back in the center. That's what Jesus did. He came to show us the Father, He came to show us the very middle. Elimelech Latus says, God is my king. But when trouble comes, I run. And when trouble hits you and I, and we feel like running like I did this week, which way are we going to run? Are we going to run away? Are we going to walk away? Or are we going to say, God is my king. I run to the center. I run to the throne room of Jesus. Will we together, I want to say, will we together, I'm preaching to myself here today, friends. Will we together run to the middle? To the middle, to the kingdom of God, to the character of Christ. I ask you this simple question today. Which way are you walking? Which way are you walking? Sir, ma'am. Walk to the center. His arms are wide open. His heart is wide open. There's always healing in the middle of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.